Welcome to the New Hope Sermon of the Week. We hope you are encouraged by this message by Pastor Tom Sturbins. Hallelujah. Good morning, everybody. If you are here for the first time, this is a a special day. We celebrate our graduates this year. It's um, eight wonderful and beautiful young ladies. I got three jokes I can't even make in your defense about <clears throat> statistics are showing that in the southeastern part of the United States these days, only women are graduating from high school. So, yeah. Oh, I've got more, three or four more stupid ones I thought of when I, but um, I, think it's so, I think it's so cool each in its own right. Um, uh, every year when we celebrate, this one is no less... Uh, unique. Prior to the last two years where COVID pandemic prohibited us doing this, we've done what we're doing here for lots of years. And what it is, is one Sunday where I don't talk to you. You just get to listen. I'm going to turn. I'm going to talk to them. I'm going to do my very best to pretend that you're not in the room and have a conversation with them. I've prayed and asked God, and Lord, for this year, for this unique group of students and graduates, would you please give them a word under the simple banner of what counsel can New Hope Church offer you at this intersection of your life? Now, June 1st is the dinner, is that correct? June 1st is the dinner, we also do that, and we've taken up a tradition and, and legacy that we're putting in place here. Um, for now many years, for 10 years or more. And that is, at this dinner, uh, we invite the parents, of course, and family, but all of our elders come. And at every table with one of the graduates, we have one of our elders. And I've asked the elders through the years to tell uh, the students what's one decision they're glad they made at their age and at this threshold, and what's one decision they wish they wouldn't have made. And it always proves to be incredibly beneficial. Um, Okay, so I'll just hit the pause button. Thank you, guys. Worship team. Thanks, Pastor Dan. I want to jump in this morning. Now I'm going to turn my attention to you. And if I could just black the whole house out, and it was like we were the only ones here, that is exactly what I would like to do. And by the way, this next offering that I'm about to make you is not because my perception is that I'm a rock star and you need time with me before you die. Um, I just simply want to make this statement and I'll do it and say between now and Father's Day, okay? So that's about three or four weeks. Uh, Between now and Father's Day, if any of you would like a sit down with me or Brenda and me, um, and, and again, don't think hard about it and just say, man, I got a couple of questions, um, and as long as they're not the questions about who are the two witnesses in the book of Revelation or uh, when Jesus is coming back, I don't know that I can answer either of those. But if you have any other questions other than that or anything you'd like to talk about and uh, just sit down and have a cup of coffee, tea, meal, whatever, we'll do our very best to make that happen. And, uh, and if not, that's fine too. I don't wake up thinking that the whole world needs to speak to me one-on-one. And so my feelings won't be hurt, but I'm going to tell you, you're going to miss the most amazing opportunity that's being just better than winning the lottery. That's my story. I'm sticking with it. 
Okay, so what would I tell you guys? <clears throat> um, there's two or three things. I sifted and sifted and worked around and worked around. Uh, Pastor's Buck, Pastor Buck's prophetic word uh, uh, about forgiveness is just so spot on and so right. Can I tell you and just leap off of that? This is not in my notes. It wasn't part of it. But the one thing you will face more than any other in the remainder of your life is the threat of unforgiveness. Very likely before the sun sets tomorrow, someone else at some level is going to disappoint you, hurt you, harm you, some piece of information. In your generation, it's multiplied exponentially uh, since the advent of social media because you don't even have to go looking far to find someone who's ready to jump out with bravado and say something rude or offensive or whatever. You can find it most any day. You guys are facing things our generation literally never even dreamed of. And I'm gonna, I, I want to leap into that pointedly. There's, there's three things I want to leave you with. Hopefully they're brief enough that they can stick in your mind. Let's see how well I can do in moving through this and, and not keeping you here and, uh, until you're... Uh, first semester of school or whatever's next for you starts, okay? <clears throat> Psalm 1914. Psalm 1914. Say to me, Psalm 1914. I'll be, by the way, I'll be glad to send you these notes, send you anything you'd like to have, all right? Let the words of my mouth, can you, with your young eyes, can you see those words all the way back there, or can you see them right here, either one? Okay, then say them with me, would you? Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. <clears throat> we live in a world, we live in a world of absolute uncertainty. We've seen that more than ever. Uh, the threat of even nuclear holocaust has raised and lift its, lifted its head probably for the first time in this generation, uh, actually in my lifetime, even more greatly than before the time of the, of the Iron Curtain. That's a matter of history. You can go back and look up. Um, but it, it's there. I mean, at every, at every turn, it's like, oh, my, my goodness, is this it? Is, it, is the pandemic going to kill the world? You know, are these wars going to happen, are, are going to destroy us all? And why this word right here? Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O God, my rock and my redeemer. Part of the, the premise of this is to point to you the most important words that you can put in your mouth are his words, ever, where his words become your words. But may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Watch this. O God, who is my rock. In other words, may the things that I think about, the things that I speak, may they be that which invites the presence of God, who is a rock. Now, if you were to turn to the New Testament and hear Jesus speaking about the rock, he talks about the word of God not being shifting sand, but the, the rock that you can stand on. That's important. And then the next word is, and my redeemer. Now, <clears throat> you um, may or may not have heard me mention this and, and being around here. I look around, Hannah, uh, Maddie... Um, who else has been here since they were a baby? I know for sure. Oh, okay. Yep. You were, at, you certainly were. Uh, and Caroline, <laughs> well, you left for that 10 year period. So I, you, you fell off the radar, but you're, 
you're back to the place you need to be. Okay, <clears throat> now, you're back from that place your, your evil father, Pastor Buck, took you where you never should have gone. And um, all of the sidebar commentary. I said I wasn't talking to you, but clearly I am. Um, <clears throat> but you guys watching, I mean, literally, you know, from, from babies grow up and be here. So you will have heard the word around here, redemption, redeem, redemptive. People don't know what that is. I've said this a thousand times here. If I were to give you a coupon to either the movies um, or to a grocery store, and that coupon said it's worth $2 off a gallon of milk or whatever, that coupon only is worth what it's worth if you take it to the issuer. It's not good. I mean, you can't just pull in a little convenience store and say, hey, I got a $2 off uh, thing on Kroger here, so I need $2 off. They're going to look at you like you're crazy. Because you took the coupon to a place and a source other than the entity that issued it. Now, with, you're sitting on this platform because you're part of a faith community here, part of a family. You hear the word of God, you come here and you worship. Presumably, this is becoming or is your worldview. Your, how I see life, how I understand life. Our faith is ultimately our worldview because you're going to have faith in something. What I want to say to you is God said when he created you, he stamped his indelible image on you. The full sense of worth. But that worth can only be found as you bring the coupon, you, to the issuer. The threat you, are, you will have right now more than ever at the emancipation of childhood. Now you're 18. Now you're all grown up. Now you get to make your own decisions. Oh boy, oh joy. And in just a couple of years, you got <laughs> And in just a few years, if not already, you'll back up on that and say, mm, maybe mom and dad are a little smarter than I thought. Okay? That, that will happen. Okay? Some of you just shook your head. No, you, you will discover that. I promise you. <clears throat> the problem is there's a world out there that wants to inform you of what you're worth. But I want to move past that. Because as I was praying over this last night, I saw something I had never seen in this passage. You see, God says, I, may the words of my mouth, my thoughts, my actions, the, 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 the utterances, actually it means to hum, the humming of my soul, my heart song. May it result, Father, in you being a rock where I can stand, because here's why. Until you have your footing on the rock, you can't see what it is he wants to redeem. You've got to be standing on the rock to see what it is that's in you and you and you and you and you that he's wanting to bring out, the full value that's in there. But here's the hope of redemption. We live in a world that tomorrow, every day, it's like, well, I guess it's just going to all be over. And if that's, see, even if it's not on the platform of a world or global stage, you individually are going to be faced with things I guess that dream's dead. I guess this is over. I guess there's nothing else. I guess that relationship's over. And you'll hear again and again, oh, life is over. Please hear this. Here's number one. Redemption says there's always a next. What do I mean by that? There is always a next in God. You will never be without hope. Because if you are standing on that rock and say, Lord, will you please open my soul this coupon that you made, that you stamped your image on before the foundation of the world. 
Would you please, in the name of Lord, in your name, would you please, in Jesus' name, show me what's next about redeeming? And he will. There will always be a next. Watch. Even if it doesn't look like there's a next around you, there will always be a next within you. Always. 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 When you turn inward and turn toward him, you will find next. I want you to tell one of your sisters there, there's always a next. Go ahead and tell them. Sitting out there, turn and tell somebody, there's always a next. Our Redeemer says so. In the book of Jeremiah, chapter 1, Jeremiah, some have mused that he may have even been as young as a teenager, but certainly very young and, and less than 30 because that was sort of the adult threshold, if you will, in the Near Eastern ancient culture. Listen to the words of Jeremiah as God is speaking to me, to, speaking to him. It says, verse 4, it says, Now the word came of the word of the Lord came to me, saying, This is Jeremiah writing. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Look at me, all of you. You're not a mistake. The word's gonna tell, the world is going to tell you that you can't even trust your own perception of your gender. It may be wrong. It is not. You are not a mistake. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. That is the worldview we live in. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. He knew you before you were in the womb. You are not a mistake. At any level, you're not a mistake. Turn and tell your sisters, you're not a mistake. Okay? Listen to these words. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. He had a purpose for you. I love this. I have appointed you, set you aside. All these words are so great, we need to spend more time on. I have appointed you as a prophet to the nation. Oh, hold on, Pastor Tom, I'm not a prophet. No, you will speak to your world. You will speak to your world. You may not speak to the world, but you will every day speak to your world. Who's going to have the final word? When you become God's mouthpiece, that's what a prophet is, to the world, but I could not hardly pray a better prayer. Lord, make them a prophet to their own soul. Boy, Scripture is filled up with the moments that you're overwhelmed and, and disillusioned. Psalm 62, David would write, he said, my soul waits in silence. Five verses later, he says, soul, be silent. Wait for God to speak. I've listened to the noise of my emotions. I've listened to the voices of everything in my circumstances. All of y'all shut up. I'm waiting to hear from God. I will be the prophetic voice to my own soul. Please look at me. Make eye contact with me. There'll never be a greater moment of your spiritual journey than awareness that the word that comes to you is the word through you, and it is the word through you to yourself. When you can stand before the mirror of God's word and say, I've listened to my emotions. I've listened to my soul. I've listened to circumstances, the world around me. I've listened to it enough. Now, I speak as a prophet to my own life, speaking his words. You be quiet. We're going to hear what God has to say. You will never have a greater moment. See, okay. Then I said, alas, Lord God. Verse 6, I do not know how to speak because I'm a youth. You guys don't know anything. You're only 12. You can't have any spiritual insight. You're just 18. You can't know God and speak. God. You're going to find somebody older further down the path. 
Jeremiah looks God back in the face and he's trying to sort of honor his status in life, but God has already said, I have a purpose for you. I've set you aside for that purpose. I've been talking about you before you could breathe. That's what God is saying to them. But the Lord said to me, do not say, I am a youth. Well, wait a minute, I am a youth. That's not what he means. He's saying, do not say I'm a youth and because of that I can't speak. All of that is in that. He says, because everywhere I send you, you will go. And all that I command you, you will speak. Do not be afraid of them. Come on. Mm. Do not be afraid of them. We live in a world more than ever that is full of fear. We're afraid of not being accepted. We're afraid of being canceled or ghosted or doxxed or whatever. We're, we're afraid of everything. You guys are facing this assault I never faced. I mean, there was the peer pressure and the social pressure, but not, you carry a phone around in your hand where you're assaulted scores, hundreds of times a day with information and this and that. And even if it's not directly about you, it's like, oh man, I don't know that I know enough. I'll come to that last. Do not be afraid of them for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. That's good news right there. Then the Lord stretched out his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I've put my words in your mouth. See, I have appointed you, set you aside this day over the nations and over the kingdoms. There's no force in the world that's greater than what's at work in you to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. The word of the Lord came to me saying, What do you see, Jeremiah? He said, I see an almond tree. And the Lord said, you have seen well, for I am watching over my word to perform it. What you don't get here is in the original language, there's two terms, and what they even mean aren't important, but I want you to hear the sound of them. He said, I see an almond tree, and that is the word shaked. So there's two words here, shaked, and it can mean awakening or a blossoming. It doesn't say blossoming, but most commentators believe that it was blossoming, So I see the blossoming, shoked, okay? And then God said, you have seen correctly, I am shoked, watching over. I'm watching. What God is saying here in this piece of poetry, he said, what do you, uh, by the way, it's it's a a play on alliteration like um, uh, Chuck E. Cheese, Willy Wonka, you know, those little alliteration things. That's what it is in Hebrew, one of those little hook phrases. But we don't get it because we don't speak Hebrew. But what God is saying here, he says, I want you to know something, that what you see is correct. That blossom was the indication of the season change. They all would wait for the almond to blossom. It was the first thing to blossom. And what it said, Pastor Buck said it up here, said, at this season change. And I thought, oh, my goodness, that's so spot on. Because what God is saying to this young would-be prophet, there's a season change coming. But he says, I don't want you to just see the blossom. Watch. You are the blossom. You are the blossom. You're the blossom that's bringing the season change. Why is that important? Because God moves beyond what we just read from Psalm 119, that there always will be a next. There's always will be a next. But here he says to Jeremiah, you, you, you. You, 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 and you, you are the next. There's not just a next for you, 
oh my goodness, embrace right now. You are the voice of next. Don't wait until you're 30. Don't wait until you're 25. Don't wait two months. Right now, embrace it. I don't care how you may see yourself in social standing. Dude, I'm only 18 years old. You know, I have that, that. Right now, this morning, I want you to hear God saying to you, there's always a next for you. And I want you to know that at some point, you will be the blossoming sign of things to come. You are the hope. I love what um, Isaiah said. I had to push this one out of my notes that several months ago, we talked about when God called Isaiah the, the, the prophet and and, and he says, I'm calling you to speak to this nation. I'm looking for a, a holy people. And, and, and he says, great, I'll go. But by the time you get to chapter 8, he can't find anybody. And he announces, here I am, Lord. He said in, verse, in chapter 6, here I am, send me. But in chapter 8, he said, Lord, here I am and the children. He had found somebody that wanted to be holy. See, I believe amidst all the craziness of this life, your soul is crying out like never before. Can I say this that just hit me a moment ago? Please look at me. Romans 5 says that where the sin abounds, the force of sin at work in this world. Sin is that, and we study it around here, sin is accepting any opinion about you other than God's opinion of you and acting on it. That's all it is. If that opinion is contrary to what God's word says about you, that is sin. So you see, sin isn't a list of the top 10 things that you do wrong. It's a force at work. And then we do things that are self-destructive. But watch this. It says, where sin abounds, the grace of God does much more abound. Now, I got to turn this way. I said I wasn't going to do this. I want to say to everyone in this room, we live in a world where everyone can see by any metric or estimation you want to embrace that the force of sin at work in this world is escalating itself. But here's the good news for you. I don't care. Here's the great news for you. Here's the amazing news for you. God said, you are going to live in a world and you're going to see the force of sin at work that I didn't see. But here's what God's word says. Man, I, you guys got to get this. If I could grab your face and you could hear what I was saying. There will always be an increasing measure of grace to conquer whatever increasing level of sin. Here's the good news. You are going to see grace, the force of grace at work in your life that I won't see. Because God says you are going to be exposed to a force of sin in this world that is greater than what I saw during my days. But the good news is God says every time sin increases its effort, I unload and unleash a force of grace that will always trump over that. I can't, I wish I would be alive 40 years from now to see the measure and expression of grace. I've said here that grace are, are the unformed particles of, of, God, of divine promise in you, in your day. See, the bad news is, oh, it's going to get worse. The good news is, God says, let them bring it, bring it, bring it, bring it. You will never be left without not an equal measure of grace, a greater grace always. That wasn't in the notes. That's free. Turn to your sisters and say, boy, I'm so thankful for that. Go ahead and tell them that right now. And the last thing I want to say to you. This one goes a bit deeper. The, the, the first one is there's always a next. The second one is I am next and you will be next. Here's the thing you're going to face because um, the majority of you, simply by statistics, I haven't interviewed you so I don't know, but the majority of you will most likely move on to some form 
of, of secondary um, education, college, school of some sort. Some of you may be going right into the workforce, but your own choices to do that. No matter where you go, you're exposed to a world that continues the very hiss of the serpent that started in the garden. Oh, you don't know what you need to know. The fact is you don't. You don't. You're going to know a lot more. But never has, been, has knowledge been so available and so tantalizing. Forgive me for not memorizing um, uh, the rate at which knowledge is being doubled. Uh, I heard Dr. Fred Garman mention that statistic again. Prior to the last hundred years or so, knowledge would double every 50 or 100 years. And then as we entered the 20th century, <clears throat> knowledge began to double at a faster rate a year or two. Now knowledge doubles. Literally available information and knowledge doubles in, in like days and weeks now. I mean, it's just crazy. Absolutely crazy. So there's knowledge. When the adversary slithered in and said, hey, God told you you couldn't eat of this or, you know, blah, blah, blah. So he engages in conversation. And, uh, and then the devil says, God knows that when you do, you will know and you'll be like him. In other words, you can know on your own. You don't need him to know. Uh, that's a whole other discussion that, if, by the way, if we do get a chance to sit down, that's one thing we will be talking about. Because you're going to be presented with all sorts of knowledge, but here's the thing that will trump it, that will trump over it. And of all places, it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, the Apostle Paul is writing to the Corinthian church who lived and worshipped knowledge. And he mentions, this is sort of, uh, this first verse, he's leaving a previous conversation, so we're moving out of that. So don't get caught up on what this thing with idols, but it has to do with worship, obviously. Now, concerning the things sacrificed to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Watch this. I'm, I'm done right here, so I want you to say this. Say knowledge. Okay, good. Knowledge makes arrogant, but love edifies. Knowledge has the opportunity, standing on its own, to puff us up. Now, leave that on the screen, please, Amanda. What happened at the end of the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3 is mankind didn't leave without knowledge. They left the garden without a relationship with the knower. The adversary, the, the, God, the, the, the problem with knowledge is you're going to be exposed to so many things that said you can't trust the Word of God, you can't trust your faith, you can't, and by the way, great studies that can help you do that. But mm, do I jump here yet? Remind me to come back to this. One of my prayers, actually, probably a consuming prayer right now in these days, one we will pray for the students tonight who are making uh, the missions trip here in the next month or so, is, Father, as they travel to new places geographically, May they have new spiritual encounters as they cross boundaries of geography. May they cross spiritual boundaries and, and understand new spiritual encounters. Can I tell you, when it says here, if anyone supposes that he knows anything, he or she, he has not yet known as he ought to know. Let me read that again. If anyone supposes that he or she, in this case, knows anything, he, she has not yet known as she, you, ought to know. Watch what it says in this last part. Verse 3, please. 
I have it right here. It may be locked up. We'll see. There we go. But if anyone loves God, watch, he is known by God. If anyone loves God, he's known by God. In these verses, Paul grabs the knowledge problem. And he says, knowledge is out there, but just knowledge on its own, all it will do is make you arrogant. And what happened in the Garden of Eden? They traded knowing for being known. Can I tell you this? I'm praying that each of you have a Holy Spirit, spiritual experience and encounter that can never be argued away because you're crossing in even increasingly so into a world of existence where you're going to be confronted with everything that will absolutely challenge the viability and the legitimacy of the faith and the worldview that you hold. They're going to challenge the, 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 the reliability of the document of the Bible, which is amazing to me since there is more literally historical literary viability to the written text of Scripture than any document in all of history. And yet they'll present that we can't trust the transmission. And that, that argument just doesn't stand. I wish I had time to go into that to increase your faith. But you know, at the end of the day, just that argument won't increase your faith. But the moment you have your own personal encounter with God, the moment you, have a, you find yourself in the grip of God and he sets you free from unforgiveness, hurt, pain, problems, uh, insecurity, where, where you have that moment, he touches your body and you're healed. You will have an encounter that there will be no theory or ideology that can challenge it. Because as I've said here a hundred times, a person with an experience is never at the mercy of an ideology. They can look you in the face, sweetheart, and argue passionately, angrily, whatever, and challenge you. But when you look back and say, well, I get all of that. But I want to tell you about that day when I was 9 or 12 or 18 or 17, and God touched my body and healed me. When I, I can tell you that moment when my mind was under torment, and I felt something from outside the room from beyond another world that I know was God, and he touched my soul. And what I discover is what it is you think you know, you know, will never be able to touch the fact that I am known. Please let me say that to you again and passionately. There's nothing just knowing. You'll never get enough knowing to sustain you. Never. There'll always be an argument. But the moment you discover you're known, you're known that there's a God that knows you by name. You're fearfully, wonderfully made. You're not an accident on any level. You are the next of Jeremiah. Don't say you're this. Don't say you're that. Matter of fact, I wish I could come and put my head next to your mouth and let you whisper in my ear your deepest suspicions about yourself and that I could turn back to you, grab you by the face and say what God said to Jeremiah. Stop saying that. It's not the truth. It's not the word of the Lord. And God would remind you that said, I've watched you since you were born. If I can switch over to that almond tree. I watched you as a seed. I watched you be planted. I watched you grow. And now you've come to the threshold where this blossoming is happening and saying to each of you, I, didn't, I don't think I have them all memorized. I don't want to miss anybody's name. To Charity, to Faith, to Jenna, to Maddie, to Sydney, to Caroline, to Hannah, to Ray, you're fearfully and wonderfully made. 
You're not an accident. You're not a mistake. I know you. Can I tell you? If I were to pick three things today that in today's world you need to know, the world's going to tell you there's no really future to hope for. You look back and say, the word of God that's written on my heart says they will, there will always be a next. And then number two, from what else I read in God's word is I'm probably going to be a part of it. I am next. You are next here today. And the last thing I want to tell you is you're entering in now to this whole orb or sphere of being able to gain knowledge. But may you always know that there is nothing that will trump being known. By the way, let's take faith away. Let's take faith away. Statistically, the majority of people, I used to know the percentage, it's in the high 90s, most people don't remain without some significant other person. Mine is right there. And I can tell you from earthly relationships, because I have, I, I really can't, I don't know how to illustrate God's because it's just so above and beyond and so out there. But the only best earthly example I have is that lady sitting right there. Can I tell you, What, in terms of human relationships, the most important thing to me is not what I know or even what she knows, but that she knows me. That word know in the Hebrew Bible is a range, I mean, broad range. It's translated about 25 different ways in English, but it means all the way from, hey, I just met Maddie and I know her, but that word at the way at the other end of the spectrum represents the term of sexual intimacy between a husband and wife in Scripture. Adam knew Eve, and they had children. The kind of knowing I'm talking about here is God has an intimate knowledge and acquaintance. And he, he draws this map and said, I knew you before you were ever a thought. I knew you before you were in the womb. I knew you before you were a seed. And now I watch that seed grow into something that's blossoming. And what you need right now is you discover that you're the blossom God's been watching. And it's your season change. There's a God that says, I know you. And at any moment in your life, the most valuable asset you will have for navigating your future is not what you know, but in those moments when you discover that everything you know isn't sufficient, but the one who knows you is abundant. That's the promise you have. If I could give you no other words, those would be that. Thank you for joining us for the New Hope Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast or other resources, visit newhopeonline.com.